jokes are told behind your back. How did they develop that kind of mindset in the writer of Hebrews' time? And how can we develop that kind of mindset? That we're willing to go outside the camp and suffer... Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. What comes to mind when you think about heaven? You might think about harps and clouds, maybe even baby angels, perhaps also feelings of uncertainty, excitement, boredom, or apathy arise when you're contemplating eternity. Well, while these images or feelings might indeed be ingrained in the imagination, it turns out that nothing could be further from the truth. So what does the Bible say about heaven and eternity? That's exactly what Tom will explore through his new four-part series titled The Eternal State, I Saw a New Heaven and a New Earth. And you might just be surprised about what the Bible actually does teach about heaven, eternity, and their implication for your life today. And Tom, our expectations about what heaven is and what it will be like are often misplaced, aren't they? You know, Bill, there is so much confusion about this. I think if you ask the average Christian, where are you going to spend eternity? They're going to say, in heaven. And by that, they mean the place where we will go immediately following our death. Well, that's not true. Heaven is a place where we will be with Christ until the final state in which he creates a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to live on a new earth where righteousness dwells forever. And that's really our hope. We were made for earth, and it's not going to be this earth forever, but he's going to make a new one. And that's what we're going to discover. What's that like? What can we anticipate? What is our eternal home? Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. You know, it's hard for most people to get excited about heaven. I think, frankly, when most people think of heaven, and the way I used to think of heaven, doesn't make it very appealing. It's a very common belief that there is going to be a future for those who are righteous. The definition of righteous may vary quite a bit. The poll that I'm citing is from Newsweek. I'm sure the definitions are quite different. But a Newsweek poll near the end of the last century reported that 77% of Americans believe that there is a place called heaven. But most made it clear that they had no interest in talking about it or going there anytime soon. The reason for that, of course, is, first of all, many of them are not in Christ and don't really have that hope and expectation. They fear death and live in the dread of death and the process. But beyond that, many have flawed views of what heaven is really like. In fact, I think there are many Christians who have similarly flawed views. Most people's view of heaven comes complete with halos, with wings, and just sort of floating around on clouds and playing harps for eternity. Now, I don't have anything against the harp. I enjoy others playing it, but it's hard for me to get excited about that picture. Fortunately, however, while that may be a common human perception of eternity, 
it bears absolutely no resemblance to how we will actually spend eternity according to the Bible. There's another confusion that we need to clear up right away, and that is that most Christians, I think, think that we will live forever in heaven as it's described in Revelation 4 and 5 and where it currently is. That's not what the Bible teaches either, as we'll learn over these next two weeks. That's not where we will be during eternity, and that's why we need to study it together. When theologians start to talk about what our eternal circumstances will be like, they call it the eternal state. Now, let me remind you of where we are in our study. Those top, that top column is a little lighter than I thought it would be, but you can still make it out, I hope. You can see running across the middle from left to right is a ordo eschatos that we put together. That is an order of the last things. Of course, it begins with our death, unless the Lord returns. That will be the next item on the eschatological agenda, followed by what theologians call the intermediate state. That is what happens to us after death, but before our Lord returns. Our soul at that point will be in heaven, the body will be in the grave, and that is of an unknown duration because we have no idea when Christ will come. We believe, as we study together, that that will be followed by the rapture, the resurrection of all believers, and that immediately will be followed by seven years of terrible and intense wrath of God poured out upon the earth, the most intense being the final three and a half years. We, during those seven years, will be in heaven. As we move along from left to right, the next item that we come to in our little timeline after that seven-year period of tribulation is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When He comes, not for His church, but this time, when He comes in glory, He puts His feet upon the Mount of Olives, He defeats His enemies, and He establishes His kingdom. We will be with Him, according to Revelation 19. We will return to the earth with Him. That will be an event that will occur. Following the second coming and several other smaller features that I won't bother us with right now, we move on to the millennium. The millennium follows the second coming, and that is the literal thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth this earth renewed for that purpose. We will be on earth with Christ during those thousand years. We will reign with Him as we learn together. Following the thousand year period, you remember that Satan is bound for that period of time. Following the thousand years, he will be released according to Revelation 20. For a short time, he will lead many of those who are unregenerate, who have grown up during that thousand-year period, but have not embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. He will lead them in a rebellion against the King, and our Lord will put down that rebellion, and that will be immediately followed by the great white throne judgment. We will be present there to witness, but we will not be judged at the great white throne judgment. As we saw, that is a judgment strictly for unbelievers, all unbelieving dead And all unbelievers will be there to appear before Jesus Christ. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15 says, Following that judgment, we begin eternity. We begin what theologians call the eternal state. 
Last week, we examined the eternal state of the wicked. It's a terrible place of conscious suffering, forever separated from all that's good and from goodness itself in the person of our God. While He will be there, we're told that they will suffer forever in the presence of the Lamb, according to Revelation. Nevertheless, He will not be there to bless. He will not be there in any way to demonstrate His presence to them. They will endure forever what the Apostle John calls the wrath of the Lamb. But tonight, it's our joy to talk about the eternal state, not of the wicked, but of the righteous. All of those who are righteous, not with their own righteousness, as we learned this morning, not with our righteousness, because all of our righteousness is filthy rags before God, but with the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to our account. All of those who have embraced Him as Lord and Savior have had His righteousness credited to their account. They are righteous with His righteousness. And they have a wonderful eternity to look forward to. We anticipate an eternal state, and that will be in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, before we get to the new heaven and the new earth, we need to back up a step and take a look at the destruction of the current universe. We live in an expendable planet. We are to be good stewards of it. We're commanded to do that. Man was put in the garden to do that. But eventually, God Himself will destroy the universe in which we live. In a number of places, in both Old and New Testaments, the Bible makes it clear of that very thing. Now, as we look at these texts, keep in mind that when the Bible speaks of the heavens and the earth, it's referring to the entire created universe, the visible physical universe. That's what is meant by the heavens and the earth. The heavens being the, the visible physical sky, that is the intergalactic interstellar universe in which this planet exists. In Psalm 102, we begin to get hints of this reality that this current universe will be destroyed. Psalm 102, verses 25 and 26, Of old, the psalmist says, you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing you will change them, and they will be changed. In Isaiah 34, verse 4, All the host of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their host also will wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree. These are graphic images of death, of the cessation of existence. You find the same thing when you come to Isaiah 51, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Matthew 24, our Lord said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, 
The writer of Hebrews says, And God's voice shook the earth then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven, the entire universe. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things that can be shaken, created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Now, you might think for a moment that that's merely a poetic expression that the created universe was so terrified in the presence of Jesus Christ that it wanted to run and hide. But the next expression gives us the hint that there's more involved in that because it says, and no place was found for them. They literally ceased to exist. In Revelation 21, verse 1, John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now, there's a lot of debate among theologians about whether the current universe as we know it will be absolutely annihilated, and God will begin fresh with totally new matter, or whether the current universe will instead be cleansed and renovated with fire, but not destroyed. In other words, is the current universe a remodel or a teardown? That's what the debate really centers on. Now, there are many men I respect on both sides of this question, so I don't think we ought to be dogmatic about it. Much of it really comes down to which verses you decide to emphasize. For example, there are some verses that seem to imply that all that needs to happen is the earth needs to be cleaned and remodeled. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, as we've studied before, I think this verse probably refers to the millennium, that thousand-year reign of Christ, not to the eternal state. But regardless, you can see where this sort of hint of, of a renovation comes from. In Acts chapter 3, verse 21, the same sort of thing. Peter's sermon there, he says, Heaven and earth must receive Jesus until the period of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Again, I believe this is describing the millennium, not the eternal state. But if you don't believe in a millennium, you can see why this verse may cause you to think that the current earth is merely going to be renovated, remodeled, and cleaned. Another text is Romans chapter 8, where Paul describes the current creation waiting eagerly to be restored. He says, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. It seems to imply something less than a total annihilation. But on the other hand, there are verses that seem to very clearly say this current earth and universe will be destroyed and God will make something entirely new. Hebrews chapter 1 Quoting the Old Testament says, They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment, like a mantle. You will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed. Now, get the picture of changing a garment. When you change a garment, the 
you take one off and you put another on. It implies entire change, not adding a couple of buttons, cleaning and adding a couple of buttons to an existing garment. And so the picture implies something entirely new. But perhaps the clearest, I think, is Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Certainly, to me, implies destruction. The same thing we saw in Revelation 20. But when you look at Revelation 21.1, turn there for a moment. For me, this seals it. Revelation 21.1. Notice what the Apostle John says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now again... If you take those words for new, you can argue that that means a renovated earth. It's new in the sense that it's been renovated. But notice the language that he uses next. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Where the word first occurs, what is the implication? There is a second. Now you could say, well, okay, but... It's legitimate to refer to a completely renovated earth as the second earth. Okay, but notice the word used in verse 1. Passed away. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. Then notice how John uses the exact same Greek word just three verses later down in verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now you tell me, is crying and death and mourning and pain renovated and remodeled and made better for the new world? Or are they caused to cease to exist? Seems to me that in the immediate context here, Paul, or excuse me, uh, John is using these words in the same sense. Whatever it means in verse 4, it means in verse 1. So the universe as we know it, seems clear to me, will cease to exist in an act of uncreation. As we learned several weeks ago, that will happen at the time of the great white throne judgment. This universe will cease to exist. It will be uncreated at that time. And Second Peter chapter 3 tells us how. Turn there with me. We didn't look at this in detail a few weeks ago, but I want to tonight because... You need to understand what God's plan is. Here we have detailed for us exactly how it's going to happen. Look first at verse 7. In context here, Peter is warning about the coming day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is an Old Testament concept that the, the Jewish believers would have understood. There is coming a time that's God's day. God's day when He settles all the accounts, when He enters into human history and sets everything right, when He brings deliverance for His own, and when He brings unspeakable wrath upon those who are His enemies. That's the day of the Lord. And He's promising them that that's coming in spite of, verse 3, mockers saying, well, when's He going to come? I mean, everything's continuing the same since it's always been. And he gives them several examples that God has intervened in human history before, 
namely the flood being the most graphic. And he will again, verse 7, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So the present heavens and earth are being reserved by God for fire. Now verse 10 expands on that concept. Go down to verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. That is unexpected, unannounced, and with devastating consequences. And this conflagration that will result will include the heavens. That's the visible, physical realm of, as I said, interstellar and intergalactic space. And it also includes, verse 10, the earth and its works. This entire planet and everything connected with it. You know, the picture is really a graphic one. You remember in the Old Testament a number of times God said that He was going to have to run the children of Israel out of the land of Israel so that He could allow the ground itself to be cleansed over many years, that their sin had almost, as it were, polluted the ground on which they walked. You almost get that picture here. That God is saying, this world that I created, very good, Genesis 1, has become utterly contaminated by the people who lived here. Like a bunch of lepers who have left everything in wreck, I have to destroy it all and start from scratch. How's he going to do it? Verse 7 says, by fire. Notice verse 10, what this looks like. The heavens will pass away with a roar. This is an interesting Greek word, this word roar. It's an onomatopoetic word, that is, a word that sounds like what it means. It has the sense of a, a whirring, buzzing roar, a loud, rushing sound. Maybe the best way to describe it. And the elements, verse 10 says, the elements, this is a reference to the basic building blocks of the universe, will be destroyed with intense heat. And verse 10 adds, this planet will be burned up. God used the plentiful resource of water once, didn't He? This earth is 70% water, and He used the abundance of water to destroy the surface of the earth in a flood. And in the same way, Peter tells us here, God will use the elements in the current universe as the tools for its destruction. Scientists estimate that the core of our earth consists of molten rock that may be as hot as 12,000 degrees. They conjecture that the surface of the earth as we know it, the crust of the earth, is about ten miles thick. Ten miles is all that separates us from a raging inferno with molten rock at 12,000 degrees. But lift your eyes to the heavens. Look at the sun in our solar system. And then get a telescope and look beyond our solar system at galaxies, or, or beyond our, yeah, beyond the solar system to other galaxies, and you look out and you see that the universe is filled with burning, flaming, 
planets or stars like ours, like our sun. But even more to the point, over the last hundred years, scientists have discovered that the atomic structure of creation itself makes our universe, the entire universe, one huge nuclear bomb. So apparently, at some point in the future, at the decision of God, this universe will be consumed with an atomic chain reaction and will literally cease to exist. And what will replace it? Well, according to Scripture, a new heaven and a new earth. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series titled The Eternal State, I Saw a New Heaven and a New Earth. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.